I know you have your cell phone with you, so I'll save you a step. Four Christmases, Reese Witherspoon, Vince Vaughn. So no need to check that. They certainly have a, a very strong view on marriage, don't they? This morning I want to ask you, what, what is your take on marriage? Have you thought about it? I'm sure if you think through it, you, you have one. Maybe when you hear the word marriage, there's some warm, fuzzy feelings that come up inside of you and you reach across the chair and you want to grab the hand of the person that's sitting next to you. Or maybe when you think of marriage, it's not warm, fuzzy feelings inside. It's more like that feeling in the pit of your stomach and instead of reaching across, you kind of clench your fist. Marriage, what does it make you think of? Does it make you think things like, I really hope someday. Or, I am so glad that I am. Or, I really wish I wasn't. Or, maybe even... Never again. You know, there's a lot of views of marriage that circulate around our world. Some folks would say, well, we need to get back to the traditional view of marriage. And there might be some merit there, but you've got to clarify which traditional view of marriage are you even talking about. Is it when parents get together and they decide who their kids will marry? If you're a kid, that sounds terrible. If you're a parent, you might vote for that. Or is it the view where if you want to marry a girl and you're a young man, you need to go get some goats and some chickens and take a trip to the father's house with the bride price so you can buy her with animals? Or you'd say, no, it needs to be like it was 50 years ago. Do you know 50 years ago, kids got married at the age of, an average age of 21? For some, that seems kind of young. For others, it's just right. Maybe you'd say, well, we're at church, so it needs to be the biblical view of marriage. And probably mostly would agree with you, but that even gets a little bit tricky, right? Because when you look in Scripture, people like King Solomon had 700 marriages. So which one of those is the biblical one? Or then there was obviously the story of Sarah and Abraham. Remember Sarah and Abraham? They got really old and wanted to have a kid so bad that Sarah swiped right for Abraham. And she arranged a hookup. That, yes, kind of hookup. Just so he could get with her servant girl and they could have a child. You know, there's views like we just saw in that movie that marriage is obsolete. It's actually worse than kind of neutral. Some would even say that marriage ruins love. It confines it and suffocates it. Other places in our culture, you get the view about marriage that it's sort of like this pinnacle of happiness. And if you're not married, there's something wrong with you and you're missing out on your best life. Get into shows like The Bachelor and we get captivated by the romantic and magical search for the one. But if you do a little bit of digging, you find that after the reality show ends and the people actually get back to real reality, winners often become losers because most of the relationships made on the show don't last in the end. For the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about marriage. And this might be the point where you're thinking, okay, now I'm confused, but I'm sure you're going to give me your opinion, Joe, and just add it to the plate of options about marriage. Well, my, this morning, my goal is to do my best not to give you my opinion. Because I look around this room and I realize there's many couples in here that probably have even better personal opinions about marriage. You've been married way longer than I have, I have been. And I want to let you know a secret that's going to get out anyhow. I still have a ton to learn about marriage. And if you don't believe we, me, my wife is sitting right there. She can confirm that after the service. But I want to get better at being married. And maybe you're here today and you would say, I've got to get better at being married. Or maybe you would say, I haven't been very good at it, but I want to know, how can I do it differently? Or you would say, I'm getting married someday, 
and I, I, I want to do it right. Well, this morning, we're going to look at the best view on marriage. In my view, it's the only view. It's Jesus' view. See, there was a day one time when Jesus was sitting around having some conversations and some folks who were confused about marriage, much like our culture can be confused about marriage, who came to Jesus and they asked him a question on the topic of marriage. This morning we're going to look at that passage in the Bible. So if you ever have your Bible, whether you're watching online or whether you're here, you can grab a Bible nearby, pull out a mobile device. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10 this morning. And we're going to see that some of the most religious people who are around when Jesus was teaching and living come to him with a question about marriage. Mark tells us how it went down. He says that some Pharisees, or in other words, some very religious Jewish leaders came and tested him by asking him a question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Maybe you can kind of see where they're going with this question, can't you? See, they were coming to him with what they already wanted in mind, weren't they? Maybe sometimes you come to Jesus with the same kind of question. They knew what they wanted. They just wanted to find out, can we do what we want and feel good about it? Well, if you and I are smart enough to figure out what they're doing, then we can almost rest assured that Jesus was smart enough. So he takes the question and he returns, sir, with a question of his own. He says this, okay, think about it this way. What did Moses command you? What did Moses command you? You see, for the Pharisees, they lived their entire lives and they viewed their whole relationship with God and with everyone else through the commandments of Moses. Is what they would call their religious law. There were 613 commandments that they looked at all of life through their relationship with God and their marriages and all of their relationships. We would call it a conditional covenant. And really in scripture, although the commandments permeate much of what we would call the Old Testament, there's a few places that really summarize it well. This is how the Pharisees and really all of the religious people around Jesus viewed life. They looked at it this way. On one hand, the Lord will establish you as his holy people, Moses told him in Deuteronomy. As he promised you on oath, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him. In other words... If you're a good person, if you behave correctly, if you're a good husband or you're a good wife, well, then God's going to make sure good things happen to you. On the other hand, if you mess up, we got a, some wording for that. If you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. It was a very conditional if-then view of life. Moses is saying, this is the deal. Or in other words, he might put it, these are the terms of the covenant, the conditional covenant the Lord commanded Moses to make with the Israelites. We wouldn't really use the word conditional covenant, but you have all of this if-then and terms and conditions and benefits and consequences. We would use the word contract. We would use the word contract. And this is the way they viewed everything. There were these laws written down that stipulated how things were to be done. 
So whenever Jesus said to them, well, what did Moses command you? They replied this. They said, well, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. In other words, all right, let's look at our religious contract. I know that it's in here somewhere. Okay, there's a lot of these. Where's it at? Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, there it is. Deuteronomy 24, Moses did say something. He said, well, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him, he can give her a certificate of divorce and send her away from his house. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy, just like that. That's what the contract says. They took a contract view to their entire relationship with God. And they took a contract view of marriage. So what does a contract view of marriage look like? Well, there are some things that show up. First, in a contract view of marriage, it's really focused on me, isn't it? Each party comes into a contract making sure that they are entitled and guaranteed to get what they deserve. This is what is supposed to happen for me. It's supposed to fulfill me. So when you enter into a contract, even though it's with another person, it's really focused on my side. Which means that you need to have some ifs and thens. We need to think of everything that could go wrong. Well, if you keep your figure, you know, if you provide a good living, if you don't try to change me too much, these are the expectations we bring into a marriage. The problem is most couples just assume that the other person knows the expectations. Some of us don't even know our own expectations, but we expect that the other will not only know them, but will meet them. And you know what they say about expectations. Expectations are just resentments waiting to happen. In the contract of marriage, it's based on romantic love. That's why we came to the table anyhow, right? I love you enough, you love me enough, we love each other, it's like the Barney song, and we're going to get married. And as long as those feelings of romantic love continue, we are good, but whenever they start to wane, well, the relationship could be in trouble, and then, and then we've got to get the law involved. Because the contract is between me and you, and the law. So whenever the co contract is broken, we need the law to step in and help us work through what to do next. Now, if you look underneath the hood of some of the common views of marriage in our time, you're going to see the view of marriage as a contract. For instance, whenever you take the view of, well, marriage is meant to make me happy. It's meant to fulfill me. Jerry Maguire, you're, gonna, you're supposed to complete me. It's focused on me. And it puts the other under some crushing, unmeetable expectations. Or if you look at Vince Vaughn and Reese Witherspoon, the opposite. Oh, marriage is just going to ruin love. We don't want to be forced to do this. That view says that marriage is a contract, and if you put these conditions on it, well, it won't be freely given anymore. It'll be commanded. And that's not love. Even the view that marriage isn't between one man and one woman, that it can be more than that, has the view of marriage as a contract and saying, well, we need the law to get involved. We can't agree on what marriage is. Let's go to the courts, and they'll settle it for us. And Jesus gives an interesting answer to this view of marriage as a contract. 
he kind of puts it into a focus of why this does not work. He says to them, Moses let you do this because your hearts were hard. That's why Moses had to write this law in the first place. He's saying you brought your sin into your relationships. You brought your fallenness, your hardness of heart into all of your relationships. But guys, before your hearts were hard, God had a different plan for what marriage. If you can look underneath the hardness of your heart, you can probably even tell yourself and realize you don't even want a relationship like this. You don't want a relationship that can just become so self-absorbed on you that you're not capable of giving the love that you were designed to give. You don't want a relationship with a scorecard where if you don't do this, then I won't do that. And each offense just builds a wall between the husband and the wife. You don't want a relationship built on romantic love. Sure, it's a good starting point, but think about it. How many people in your life have you had romantic feelings for? How many different people in your spouse's life have they had romantic feelings for? It changes sometimes. How do you know it won't change again? You really want to base it on that? Oh, and you don't want you don't want lawyers and judges who don't know you getting involved in deciding who goes where, who gets what, who lives with whom. He said, "Do you really want a relationship like that?" No, no, no. Underneath the hardness of your heart, your heart before it grew callous because of its sin, it was made for so much more than this. This is just because the world's broken. But but Jesus continues in the next verse. In verse 6, he says, uh, at the beginning, let's go back to the start before it all got messed up. Once upon a time, God had a vision for marriage. In his vision, he created male and female. And then, he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. All right, I'm just going to call a time out, because I don't know if you've thought this before, but I've thought this, and so I'm thinking maybe you, have, you will too. There are some verses in the Bible that are just weird, okay? And if that bothers you, I just encourage you, read your Bible more. I promise you, you will find them. To me, this was always one of the weird ones. One flesh? I remember being a kid sitting at weddings, and the pastor would get up and talk about this one flesh thing that was happening up there, and I would think... I'm pretty sure I saw two people come down the aisle and two people go out the aisle. I thought in God's eyes he wasn't seeing right. Like somehow the pastor was up there, you know, instead of separating Siamese twins, he was making Siamese twins. And God was looking at, I never got it. Then my dad had the birds and bees talk with me and I understood the one flesh stuff a little bit better. But it wasn't until I learned the Greek word behind this word, united, that I really understood what one flesh meant. See, the author here, Mark, chooses a very interesting word to capture what Jesus said. The word he uses to capture this term united is proskalao. Proskalao, which in its most literal sense means to glue or to cement together. So let me give you an example of what I think that a word picture that we can uh, use to understand what Jesus is talking about. So when I was a kid, 
I, I, I love to eat candy so much, and I did not like to brush my teeth very much. So I did a lot of candy eating and not a lot of teeth brushing, which means that as an adult, I have tooth problems. And so I had to get these things called crowns put on some of my teeth that were bad. Crowns are just a false tooth that is glued onto the remains of a real tooth. Not too long ago, I got some work done on one of my crowns, and, and uh, the dentist glued a temporary crown onto my real tooth while they could make a permanent crown. I left the dentist's office and was probably eating candy again, and that temporary crown came off. And I was afraid I was going to accidentally swallow it, and I couldn't get it to stay. I went back to the dentist, and I explained what happened. He sat me down in the chair, you know, like the dentist talk, kind of like the, the look when you don't floss enough. He's like, I'm going to tell you what the problem is here. He said, the, the glue we used to glue that temporary crown, it's just the temporary glue. It's made so that it can be pulled off. But since you're not going to listen and you're still going to eat candy, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to take the permanent glue that we'll eventually use on that permanent tooth, and I'm going to glue the temporary tooth on with the permanent glue. But listen very carefully to me. That permanent glue is made to never come apart. So if I'm not the person that's fixing this, when you come back in, you need to tell them to drill. Because if they start tugging on that tooth, they're going to pull the whole tooth out, roots and all, because that permanent glue is not going to let go. And Jesus is telling us that when a man and a woman join together in a marriage, God wants to use the permanent glue. The permanent glue. The glue that's never meant to come apart. The glue that says we're committed to each other. We're pushing down on this glue. We're cementing it. And when life pulls on it, we know it might hurt a little bit. But it's not coming apart. Jesus presents a view of marriage that's not a contract view. We could call this view a covenant view. Or an unconditional covenant view. It says, I'm getting glued to you. And I am responsible to keep my commitments to you regardless of what you do. Marriage as a covenant is very different than marriage as a contract. But marriage as a covenant, as an unconditional covenant, is God's view of marriage. Here's what it says. It says this, first, it's not focused on me. It's focused on the other. In a covenant marriage, you stand before the other and instead of saying, Okay, I'm giving you my love. Now, what are you going to give me in return? It says, I'm giving you all of my love and all of me. It's all about what you get. It changes the wording, getting married, into giving married. You're giving yourself to the other. And you're saying, from this day forward, you are my focus. It changes the if-then-I-will language to even... If you, I still will. The commitments are unconditional. When a couple stands before a pastor and they promise for richer, for poorer, and sickness and health, and joy and in sorrow, they're saying, I don't know what's going to come, but I know what I'm going to promise to do. No matter what comes, I'm going to keep this commitment to you. Everything that happens in between those extremes and in between now until death do us part, I'm promising, even if it isn't what I expect, what I completely expect of myself is that I'm going to keep this commitment. I've heard Pastor Denny say it a number of times at a wedding, maybe he's done your wedding and even said it, he's so right. 
They have no idea what they're getting into. And that's the point. Because in a covenant, it's not based on romantic love. It's based on a promise of love. See, romantic love says, well, as long as the love continues, we're going to be good. But if it changes, we have a problem. The promise of love says, I know that the romantic feelings are going to change over time. Sure, the goal is to experience them in newer, deeper ways. But I can't always promise how I'll feel, but I can promise how I'll act. It says, I promise to love you. Not, I feel like I'm going to love you. The wise German pastor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, put it this way. He said, it's not your love that sustains the marriage. Instead, but from now on, it's the marriage or the covenant that will sustain your love. He's saying, today, when you get married, you're going to take the love that you have and you're going to tether it to a promise that will carry it through rest of your marriage. Now, I know that some people have said this. That's the problem I have with marriage. If the love disappears, I don't want to be stuck in a lifetime of drudgery all because of some promise. There's a couple challenges I would push back on that with. First, I don't think love just disappears. Imagine you have a favorite pet and your pet just disappears. You're not going to be calling Area 51 to say, I think there was an alien abduction. My pet disappeared. You're going to look around and probably find a door open. Your negligence allowed the animal to escape. And I think in marriage, when love disappears, instead of saying, what happened? You're going to look around your life and you're going to find some open doors that allowed it to escape. But more than that, if your pet disappeared, you're not just going to say, well, I guess that's done. You're going to get out there and look and search. Can't conclude because you don't feel love anymore in your marriage that it's disappeared forever. Instead, get out there and search. I know folks who will look harder for a dog than they would look to save their marriage. But, but more than that, this idea that I don't want to be stuck in a lifetime of misery because of some promise, behind that is really this statement is saying, I, I want my freedom. I don't want to give up my freedom. In fact, if, if I don't desire you anymore, or if I desire someone else more, I don't want to get stuck with what I don't desire and have to be stuck with what I, I don't want to get stuck with what I don't desire and be stuck with you. But really, not only is that other focus, I don't even think that's best for us. Because think about it. What is more cruel of a tyrant? A promise that you carefully and prayerfully and thoughtfully entered into? Or the unreliability of your feelings and your desires. For which, what you do today to satisfy your desires might be the very thing that you do tomorrow and displeases them. In a sense, the promise is there for the other, but it's also there to protect you from you. The final difference between a contract and a covenant view is this. It says, it's me, you, and the law versus me, you, and God. You've probably heard this at weddings before. Jesus says that it's between husband, wife, and God when he says, therefore, what God has joined together, 
let no one separate. Now step outside the boring way. You've probably heard this a hundred times at weddings. And think about what this really, really means. I think this is one of the most powerful statements in Scripture. It says that whenever a boy and a girl decide that they love each other and want to get married and spend their life together, God shows up in that ceremony. God shows up and he says, I hear what you're saying. I'm going to acknowledge it. This is what you're asking me to do. All right, I'm going to get the glue out. I'm going to join it together. It's one of the times in Scripture God says he will grant our ask every time someone asks it. Every time that someone wants to get married, whether you've been a believer before you got married or after you got married, I believe this teaches that in every marriage, God says, this, this is what you're asking, this is what I will do. Now, some folks would say this, we never should have got married in the first place. I remember having uh, a meal one time with a really good friend who was going through a difficult time in marriage and said to me, you know what, we've decided to call it quits. And we talked it through, and really at the heart of it was this statement. It was a mistake to get married in the first place. We never should have done it. It was a mistake. Jesus is saying, what you think was a mistake, God is still involved in. In fact, think of it like this. If you had a friend who called you up and they said, you know what, we thought it was a great idea five years ago to have kids, but we've got this five-year-old, pees the bed every night, writes in crayon on the walls, talks back to his mother. Oh, we realize now it was a mistake and we're done. You're going to say, buckle up, buttercup. It's too late now. You made a one flesh. You made a one flesh creation and you're responsible for it. And Jesus is saying, when you get married to someone, you better think really, really hard about it. And after you're married to someone, you're responsible for the one flesh creation that God has made. But here's the hope. Because that can sound sour and condemning. And like, oh my goodness, I'm, what am I going to do? Here's the hope. When it's me, you, and God, God is involved. You see, whenever you come and you say, we want to get married, and you stand before God, and has, he joins you together, you're saying, we want to write a love story, but God, here's a pen. God, we want your pen to help us write our story. And even though there's some who are listening to this and may have decided, I want to lay down my pen, I'm done writing. God is not done writing your story yet. Think about the story of Cinderella. I don't know who wrote it, but if that person had put down their pen at midnight, Cinderella would have been stuck in her evil stepmother's house forever. But the author kept writing, and the next day, Prince Charming came, and the glass slipper fit. It's one of the most well-known love stories ever. God hasn't put down his pen yet, and no matter if it looks like midnight in your marriage or your relationship, he wants to keep writing. He's involved because in a covenant, it's me and you and God. And God is the redeemer of failures. He's the restorer of relationships. He's the repairer of brokenness. He's the reorienter of priorities. And he's the rewriter of stories. 
Now, I know you might be here and you might be thinking, well, Joe, that's great, but you don't know. You don't know my story. You don't know how hard it is to hear you talk about marriage because I want to be married so badly and I, I was left or God hasn't brought that person into my life or I was married and I made a total mess of it. And every time I hear about this, I'm just reminded of the regret and the pain I have or Maybe you're thinking, you know what? I wanted to keep a covenant with someone. They didn't want to keep it with me and they bailed. You might even be thinking, and Jesus? Joe, he's single. He never got married. He didn't have to live with him. He didn't have to live with her. He didn't know what she, he doesn't know what she says, what she does. He doesn't know what it's like to have to keep a covenant. And when we say Jesus doesn't know what it's like to keep a covenant, I want you to know that he says right back to us, yes, I do. See, this morning we've been in Mark chapter 10. This was a day in Jesus' life when he talked about a covenant. But there came another day in his life when he didn't talk about it. He demonstrated what it meant to keep an unconditional covenant. Luke tells us about this in Luke chapter 22. Luke writes this. He says, there's this night whenever he had his closest friends together, and they were having dinner, and in the same way, after the supper, he took a cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant. He said, gone are the days of this contract view of God and my relationship with God, where it's all this if-then. Guys, you know how poorly that has gone. We can never, never meet the requirements. That's just not working anymore that covenant's done, but I'm going to give you a new covenant. It's an unconditional covenant. And it's not a covenant that's kept with the spilling of animal blood. It's a covenant that's kept with my blood. Which in a few hours is going to be poured out for you. And in less than 24 hours after Jesus said this, he went to a cross and he poured out his blood to seal this covenant, this unconditional covenant. And so when we say, you know what, how can I, I mean, what, Jesus, you don't know what it's like to have a relationship that has to be focused on the other person. Jesus says, oh, I hung on a cross. I was humiliated. Did you know they took off all my clothes? The pictures you see on the cross, they keep it PG, but it was a very R-rated view. I was humiliated, exposed, beaten, and mocked. Completely emptied myself because my focus was completely on you. Say, oh, Jesus, you don't know what it means to keep an even still. I mean, how can I promise something? It, it has to depend on what the other person does. And Jesus would say, even though I knew that you could never pay me back for what I did on the cross for you, even though I knew that you could never reciprocate, I still went to the cross to give my life for you. How can I make such a big promise? That's such a big promise. I don't know what's going to happen. Jesus said, oh, that's too big of a promise. What about my promise? That my death will not only pave the way to transform your life here on this earth, but it will seal your eternity forever in heaven if you follow me. It's a pretty big promise. You see, I don't know where you're at today or what's going on in your life or your relationships, but Jesus does. And when he went to the cross for us, he not only set 
set the way for us to have a relationship with God. He also set the pattern for how we're to have relationships with one another. And one of those key relationships is the relationship of marriage. So if you're here today, I want to ask you, what kind of relationship do you want to have? If you're an engaged couple, I just want to ask you, do you want to base your marriage off of what you hear Reese Witherspoon and Vince Vaughn joke about in a movie? Or do you want Jesus to be the foundation for how you're going to do your marriage? You have a unique opportunity. It is truly a once-in-your-lifetime opportunity to choose from this day forward what's your marriage going to look like. It's going to be a contract relationship like everyone else tells you it should be. Or are you going to listen to Jesus? Maybe you're here today and you're single. And these kinds of messages about marriage, are they're painful. But I want you to know something. Jesus is your true covenant keeper. Even if there's not another human being in your life right now that you've entered into a covenant with, Jesus says, I am your covenant keeper and I am more than enough. And will you choose to seek another one whose first covenant is with Jesus and wait for him to bring that person into your life? And in the meantime, will you say, I'm not going to ask, who am I going to marry? But ask instead, who is the person that I am going to marry? Going to marry and allow Jesus to prepare you should that day come. Maybe you're here today and you're dating. And there's a lot of covenant things that you're already doing together as a dating couple, but you've not made that promise. And one day you're going to call up a pastor and you're going to say, hey, we wanted you to do our wedding. We want, we want to give God a pen to help write our story. What I want to say to you is, give him the pen now. Let him show you how to live your life as a single person in a dating relationship by following the pattern that he set for his covenant and how you relate to each other physically, emotionally, spiritually. Or maybe you're dating and you're doing some of the covenant stuff, but you have no intention of ever making this promise. At least have the integrity to tell the person that you're with that truth. Don't hold the hope of a promise someday out there to continue to getting the benefits of the relationship that you want now. And I just want to say to those folks who are here today, and you're, you're in a relationship, and it's, the covenant's been broken. You've broken it. Someone else has broken it. And it's painful to think back. Jesus came because he knew we would have sin in our lives. And I just want you to know, he's not done writing your story yet. That story may or may not include another person, but that story always includes him. Always includes him. He wants to keep his covenant with you. And he wants to be your enough. Will you let him? I just want to give a one final word of encouragement to those who are here today. And you would say, you know, we, we're striving to keep this covenant. We, we, we want this kind of marriage. Keep it up. Keep it up. Because there's a culture and a world out there that they'll hear a message like this. But followers of Jesus, young people need to see marriages like this. Not grumpy old men and women who, who just act like they're miserable. But they need to see people who've been doing this for years, who are more in love and more happy and more satisfied and more committed to Jesus than they were the day they got married.
inspire them with your relationships. As we close today, we're going to give you time just to respond to Jesus. And this is what I want you to do. If you're in a relationship right now and you're here with the person that you're in that relationship, married, engaged, and you'd say, I want a covenant relationship with Jesus. I want a covenant marriage before Jesus. As we sing this song in a moment, I want you to just grab the hand of the person that you're with. With one hand, hold their hand, and with the other hand, just put your hand out. You don't, you don't have to raise it high. You can just put it out low. You can raise it high if you'd like. And just say, Jesus, help, help us in our covenant. We thank you for your covenant with us. Help us keep this covenant. And maybe you're here today, and you're not in that covenant relationship with another person. I just want you to know Jesus is more than enough. So as we sing this song, put your hands out to him and say, Jesus, you're my true covenant keeper. Be my enough. Thank you that even though I can't keep my end of the bargain, Jesus, you have kept yours. So I want to invite you to stand if you're able to. If you'd like to sit, you're, you're welcome to as well. Let's give our praise to our true covenant keeper, Jesus Christ.